Eric, you're going to come and lead us in a song, and you're going to give us 15 minutes for men to pop up, and you have a list to get it started, to get in this pulpit. We're going to open to the Word of God in Nehemiah chapter 8. It was read to you last night. I'm not going to read it again for the sake of time, because I want to hear as many of you as possible. And let's, it, you don't have to be long up here. Do not feel any obligation. This is the most accommodating, accepting, and excited audience you'll ever speak before. Just share some things that you like from Nehemiah 8. Don't worry about repetition. If someone makes a point, a man or two or three or four in front of you, go ahead and make the same point. How many of us do you think are capable of remembering that it's already been made? Just go ahead and let's hear it again. Let's bless the God of heaven that what he put in his word for our profit, we are profiting from and we want to be like them and we want to exceed them. Not for our praise, but for His. Our Father chose to record it here for us. Let's show Him how much we're thankful for it. Young men, old men, fathers, husbands, let's be excited about Nehemiah 8. The people of Israel in those days had done some bad things. They had neglected many things. They had made mistakes. They had intermarried with those who did not belong with the children of Israel. And they heard the word of God read to them, and they mourned because of their sins. And they wanted to hear more. And I'm thankful that we have a God who is faithful and kind, that when they came back wanting to do his word, wanting to do what he said, he gave them something that no one had had for a long time. He opened his word to them and showed them something that had been hidden for hundreds of years. I'm thankful that we have a God that freely forgives and then gives us more so that we can follow him better. Amen. Amen. Everybody, if they listened to the sermon last night, they know exactly what Nehemiah 8 is about. They know what it is. They know the people were thankful for what it was. And we're all thankful for what it is and what it was. But I'm here to give thanks for what it wasn't. I'm very thankful that there weren't music ministers on the left and right side of Ezra. I'm very thankful there weren't youth pastors in the midst of the congregation, taking the youth aside. I'm very thankful that it wasn't story time. Ezra didn't get up there and tell about old exploits of his youth, some sport that they may have played back then. I'm very thankful it wasn't that. I'm very thankful he wasn't joking or jesting. I'm very thankful that it wasn't a perilous time. We live in a perilous time right now where men do all these things that we speak of that I'm thankful that it wasn't. I'm very thankful that the Lord has delivered me and saved me from such foolishness and, and, and allowed me to be in such places and see things and be in disagreement. The Lord opened my eyes. He opened my ears just as he opened those people's ears yes. and their hearts. They received it. And he gave me things that years ago where I would go and try to share with people and they thought I was crazy. And these were pastors. And I heard from a man who just happened to call last night about a pastor at a certain church that I had confronted on some of these things. And now he wants to step down. This is a storyteller. This is a guy who jokes, jests, and tells of exploits that he used to do behind the pulpit. He wants to step down and become a member of his church that he leads or preaches. It just baffles my mind that a pastor wants to step down and, and be... But when you have a form of godliness and you deny the power thereof, that's what you're going to get. Right. That's what you'll have. And I'm very thankful that 
that's not what this was. I'm, I'm very thankful for the ox that we have that plows for us and that labors so hard to make it so easy, not so easy, but easier to us to understand, just as Ezra caused the people to understand. I'm very thankful for our ox and what he does and many different facets to cause us to understand and the work and labor that goes into that. It's, it's not, they opened up, he read it, read the word distinctly, he gave the sense and he caused the people to understand. That's work and that's labor. And, just, just, and that's why people don't do that today. That's why we live in perilous times because people are lazy. They don't know how to labor and they're not. Another thing is Luke 10.2 talks about a harvest. And we pray for laborers to go out into that harvest. This, I can't, we have seminaries all across this nation popping out preacher boys left and right. But they are preaching a different Jesus and a different gospel. Yes. And they are not reading from the word of God distinctly. They are not giving the sense and they are not causing people to understand. And that is why we have this different gospel. That is why we have these perilous times right now. We need to pray for Ezra's. We need to pray for our ox to continue to have strength. Because you can get disappointed, because you will get disappointed. Ezra, look at the people's response. They rejoiced. We need to rejoice. Even though we get pounded, we need to rejoice when we get pounded because the Lord is being merciful to us. So we need to cheer his heart and receive the rebukes and the correction and the word of God that we tend to skip around or outskirt and keep to the side, we need to rejoice when he brings it full force, that hammer and that fire that later on it talks about in Jeremiah, because that word of God is a hammer and it is a fire. And we need to be thankful for that. And we need to be thankful for the man the Lord has chosen for us and all the things the Lord has delivered us from, such men, such false preachers. And these perilous times, we are, we are blessed. We need to rejoice. Just as Brother Zach said many times, I'm thankful for the context that was that sets Nehemiah 8 up. The context is the days that we live in right now, the perilous times. In 2 Timothy 4.3, the people did not endure sound doctrine and they wanted preachers that would preach fables unto them and turn their, their ears away from the truth. I'm thankful for Nehemiah 8.1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. The Lord had commanded to Israel. I'm thankful that the people stood there and they wanted to hear what the Lord had commanded them to do. They didn't go to Genesis to hear what God had done for them. They wanted to go to Deuteronomy and Leviticus to find out what things should I be doing to please the Lord. And uh, that just jumped out at me last night. I'm very thankful to that, to see that. Amen. I'm very thankful to see that. That's the one point that I'm thankful for. And that's the one point that I want to have. I want to emulate those people of God and say, what should I be doing in my life for the Lord? Yes. And that's what I like about Nehemiah 8.1. Amen. And if there's no more hands, I've got others. I'll come up here. Yeah. Amen, This certainly is a glorious chapter, and there's many good points to be had from it. But as Stephen did, I just stopped at the first verse. I mean, that's a good enough place to start and to remember. Nehemiah 8.1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, 
which the Lord had commanded to Israel. They gathered together as one man. This is a glorious point right here. You know, there's not many places in the Bible where you have thousands of God-fearing men gathering together as one man to hear the word of God. Uh, We read about David, Daniel, and other individual men who wanted to hear the word of God. But here we have a large group that wanted together together to hear the word of God as one man. They hadn't always wanted that. Remember, they had just spent 70 years in Babylon because they didn't want to hear the word of God. They didn't want to hear the word of God when Jeremiah was preaching it. Their fathers hadn't wanted to hear it. But here we have the people of God who had come back from Babylon who together wanted to hear the word of God. That's a glorious blessing. The Lord had moved this group of people and convicted them, persuaded them in their hearts that they wanted to come together to hear the word of God. This was not a small group motivating the rest. This was not the chief priests. This was not the Levites. This was not Ezra or Nehemiah. This was the people themselves together by the direction of God in their hearts wanting to hear the word of God. And I, I, that would rejoice my heart that they wanted to hear it in unison together, the whole group, to hear the word of God taught and preached that day. And I was blessed by that. We've been convicted about the response and the actions of the leaders in the end of the book. I read the first part of the first sentence in verse 16 and the last of verse 17. So the people went forth and brought them, and there was great gladness. I just cut out all that in the middle and read right to the end. Why were they so glad? Why? They had the law. It was already a schoolmaster. They're already bound by all the, the, the laws and the commandments that they couldn't keep. Why did they want another one? Why did they want to know it? Why did they want to follow it? But they did, and they were happy. Yes. Amen. Everywhere I go, I see Christians that once you bring up the smallest little thing they could do better, it's always a burden. They don't want to do it. Why do I need to do something else? I'm already doing this. It's already a burden. That was not their spirit. And what we we saying this morning, a great choice, Eric, number 227, Break Thou the Bread of Life. It says in the fourth verse, O send thy spirit, Lord, now unto me, that he may touch my eyes and make me see. Show me the truth concealed within thy word, and thy book revealed. I see thee, Lord. These men just did not have the Holy Spirit. They were ruled by the Holy Spirit. And that's something that's convicted me more because it's not enough to just have a conscience and have a Holy Spirit. Are we being ruled by it? How is that affecting our life? You know, this is all foolish to the flesh. 100% foolish. It's a burden. It's a hassle. We have to put our lives on hold. But in the Spirit, it's not. I've been convicted about the four grounds as well. And in hearing this morning's sermon... It makes me think about the fact that we all have a decision in how we hear. Every time we have that choice. And it's a gross fact that statistically only 25%, one quarter of us will do it properly. 
that just makes me ask, is there not a cause? Repetition's good, isn't it? It must mean the Lord's got some things that he wants us to know. Verse 1, all the people gathered themselves together as one man. We had unity. There was unity there. And unity in what? As an, I forgot who now, even though I'm taking my notes. Who Talking about, you know, it wasn't Zach. It wasn't unity in the youth group. It wasn't unity in, you know, the basketball team. It was unity in the truth. You know, brethren, peace is a wonderful thing. We all want peace. But you cannot have peace if you're not unified in what's the basis of the peace, which is the truth of God. They all were attentive when they heard. As our brother pointed out this morning, and how many times have we heard about the grounds in how many different fashions over the past number of years? We've got to listen and pay attention. And paying attention doesn't mean we can recite back chapter and verse. It means that we do. It's the doer who's blessed in his deed. Written somewhere in the New Testament. The next section, talking about the preaching itself. Verse 8. I can go back just about as far as our brother can. And it's just as exciting to me to see this, this part here because it's all the difference in the world, brethren. Why are we different from other Baptists just like us? Verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. And caused them to understand the reading. Brethren, an appropriate interpretation of Scripture. It's not something you can sit there with a grammar book and a dictionary and figure out. It's a spiritual book written by the God of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the understanding. Lord, help us that we can continue to understand more of it. And what was it? Brethren, it was substance, not sound bites. You don't pick out your little proof text because you can pick out any set of words you want to prove anything in Scripture. What does the book itself teach? What's the whole purpose of the book and the God who wrote that book? We want the substance of it. And as been mentioned, we ought to be so very thankful that God has given us that that God has given us a man who is, has, has, is his burning desire, the ability to teach us that and to press it on us. That's not an easy task, brethren. That's not an easy thing to do, to press it, especially when you know you're as guilty as anybody in the group of the things you're talking about. Because, you know, if you're really understanding things, that's what true understanding is, right? It's where you're failing. Lord, help us to see more where we fail so that we can do better. The party, it talks about the fact that they rejoiced. They had God's revelation. And that's worth celebrating. We've got it, brethren, as another brother's already said, so much more than they had. We ought to be rejoicing every day, brethren. Shame on us when we're not. And the performance. What were they trying to do? As already been pointed out today, they were seeking to please God better. When you come, that's the, that's the 
whole point of attentive, attentive listening and hearing. What can I do better? It's the only words you've got to remember. Better. What have I heard today that I can do better? And I love the comment that was made at the end of the message. What do we claim to be in this congregation, brethren? Do we claim to be some sort of Baptist or something? What, what's the thing we like to talk about? The Bible. We're Bible Christians. This is being a Bible Christian. You pay attention. You want to know, what have I done wrong? You come in with your shoes off saying, please, preacher, step on these toes. They're ugly. I want them better. Tell me what I can do better. And then you go out to do it, and you rejoice that God has shown you how inappropriate, how small, how unable you are to do things. Because he's able to do great things. And it's in his power that you're going to do it. And he's just shown you how bad you are, so you just got to trust in him and step out on his instructions to do what you should do. Amen. Last night, uh, Amy and I were listening to it, and we made a whole list. So let's see what the time is now. I'll just do a couple since there's other getting up. One of the, the most thankful things that we were for this sermon was that they did all this. They stood for three hours. They were attentive. They, they loved being there. They weren't dozing. They weren't leaving at break. They didn't even know about the Lord Jesus Christ like we do. Right. We know so much more than they ever did. Right. We should be able to sit here longer, be more attentive, yes. be more ready since we know so much more about our Savior. Amen. Danielle and I did something similar, listened to it together, and had several points. Mine's very simple. It's Danielle's favorite. She liked how that they went and got the man of God. They went and got Ezra to preach to them. They wanted to be there under the preaching of God's word. Yeah. That, was, that was important. They, they didn't have to be asked, where were they at? Well, you know, what's going on with you? You have to have good brothers of the pastor inquire about them. They went and found him and Amen. said, preach to us. The booze, tents. Uh, thought about the similarities with baptism. It's, Baptism is a, a silly thing to do. Dip yourself in water. Have yourself be dipped in water. Yes. God told these people at the, at the end of your harvest time, somewhere around the month of October, make these booze and don't live in your houses if you have a house or your regular tent, if you have a tent or whatever. Make these booze. He, he was very intricate in the detail. He wanted to make them out of branches. They were very temporary. Uh, but it was a matter of obedience to God. Um, when you read through the book of Exodus, you can get bored to death hearing about the sockets and the fine twine linen and the knops and everything else. But that was our God. And even though that detail was done away with, there's still much detail that we're subject to and we need to pay attention to it. We don't have a piano. We don't have an organ. That's some of the New Testament detail. Um, it, the other thing I thought about is the nooks and crannies of the Bible. We always need to be on the lookout for the nooks and crannies in the Bible. Our pastor's been very good. We have a whole series of something called Forgotten Sins. We can always be looking at those nooks and crannies and seeing what, what have we forgotten and what do we need to do better. 
One of the uh, most enjoyable parts of this last night for me was the attitude that they had after they were corrected. They they um, they wept at first, and there was a time and place for that. David said, "I will be sorry for my sin." In First uh, Corinthians, I think it's First Corinthians chapter eleven, talks about the uh, godly repentance and the full definition of what godly repentance is with the vehement zeal and everything, but. There's a place to be extremely thankful and rejoice when God has shown you something that you need to do differently. That is a great mercy from God. Most people are totally uh, convinced that they are pleasing God, but there will be many in that day that will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I never knew you. But for God to open your eyes, to cause you to be convicted, to be willing to change, to give you that Ability to see, the ears to hear, all of that is from the Lord. Yes. We've read we've read this verse many, many times, and it just gets better every time I read it. So I'm going to read it again. Second Corinthians chapter two, Second Thessalonians chapter two. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. And belief of the truth. Right. You know, God, our Father is a very good Father. Jesus said, we're evil fathers, but he's a good Father. He is not perched up there in heaven waiting on you to make a mistake so he can kill you. That's not what he wants. He wants your sanctification. And he will help you do it. He doesn't want us to be overly pensive about our, in the, our response to the gospel. What he wants is us to repent and go do what he's told us to do with great joy doing it. That's what he wants. And it's a philosophy of life. It's a philosophy or a viewpoint of who God is. Yes, he's terrible. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's frightening. But he is our loving heavenly father. And we underestimate the value of having truth shown to us, I think. It's impossible for us to exalt that and understand how great of a blessing that is. But he did not send you strong delusion that you would believe a lie. He does that. You deserve that. Our parents basically begged for that. And we deserve lies because we've said we don't like the truth by nature. We've all said that. But he has been gracious enough to send you his spirit, send you the man of God, send you his word, give you ears to hear and eyes to see, we should be extremely Amen. thankful for yes, truth Lord. that God has shown us. Amen. The conviction to do it, and Lord help us. Let's Amen. rejoice in that truth. Amen. Two quick points to make that have already been uh, made once. One was about uh, Sunday school. You know, I was thankful for my father. He don't know if he ever read Nehemiah 8 where it talked about all the people coming together in one place, but he didn't like Sunday school when we'd go to a church and visit. You just have... Uh, Somebody in the church come up and say, hey, can we take your children to another room to Sunday school? He said, no, my family's going to sit with me, and uh, I want my family in together. And I'm just, I'm thankful for that. I already knew that. And he always said it was just a man-made thing. That's the way he put it. Um, another thing that Newell brought up was uh, about the unity of the brethren. I was just thankful for that. Um, Psalm 133, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell Together in unity with an exclamation mark. It's like yes. the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. 
for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Amen. Just one quick point, though. No. Hush. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about for several weeks now, um, ever since we had the defend the doctrine um, debate at Mr. Carnell's house, um, is being fertile ground in that we, after we hear the truth, go out and do something about it. I'll just read just a little bit in uh, Nehemiah 8.15. Just in the middle of the verse it says, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and so on and to make booths as it is written. They had heard the truth and obviously had been convicted about it. So they had gotten that down, but then they went out and did something about it. I'm just going to read a quick verse in James James 1.23, one of my favorite books of the Bible. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his face, his natural face, in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Amen. Amen. Wow, Nehemiah 8. You guys can get up here and encourage me and exhort me about things that I'm not doing in my life. And, and I read this last night and didn't see some of these points. Joel, thank you. We need to be looking in God's Word for other things that we can be doing, not fighting against the fact that there's more out there for us to be doing. That was a great point. Nehemiah 8, verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, and Shema, and Ananiah, and Urijah, and Hekiah, and Maaseiah. On his right hand and on his left, Hadeah, and Mishael, and Melchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbanana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. I'm very thankful for these names being in the Bible. There's a reason they're here. They're tough to pronounce. They're not words that we're used to trying, to trying to say. They have different letters put together that we don't name our children anymore necessarily. But they're in here for a reason. A whole verse to tell us who was on the right and who was on the left. I'm very thankful for those that have gone before us, that have preached the word down through generations and it's gotten to us. I'm thankful for the ready scribe that we have that had God's men teach him and he's teaching us. We heard in the last few weeks about how the Lord takes away mighty men from a country, from a nation, when they don't follow him, he hasn't taken away all of them from us. And I'm thankful for the scribe that we have. That's how God's truth is put down through generation. It's from pastor to pastor to pastor. And we are the beneficiaries of that. that As that word is preached and pushed down through those generations, I and my children get to sit here and be blessed by it. Being slowed down by old age, and I'm pleased that you almost have to fight to get up here. That we have, we have men standing on Jonathan's left and on his right who want to read the Word, who love the Word. Yes. I'm very thankful for that. That wasn't what I came up here to say, but I thought of it on the way up, and it's really, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. Um, what I did want to come up here for, for those of us who come from Armenian backgrounds, to me, the very beginning really hit me, that they didn't want to hear any more stories, which are good, and they didn't want to hear any more sound bites 
as a congregation, the united said, enough, we want to hear the word, we want to hear the law. We want to know what the Lord wants us to do. My wife and I desired that for years, and the Lord was gracious enough to bring us to chapter 8-8 and a church that does this. So they read in the book and the law of the God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful that the morning I felt after that, the Lord also tells us in his book, okay, you mourn and you should mourn, but you should also celebrate now. Be joyful. Be thankful. Don't, don't stay on the past. Don't stay on what happened, what you could have done. Move forward. Do what I want you to do now. Grow. Be more than you, be more than you were in him, and he'll help you be more. And I'm just very thankful for that. The congregation included, according to verse 2, all those, all that could hear with understanding. Reflecting on that last night, I thought the last part of my, the earlier part of my life was devoted to many aspects of children's ministry, including my own family. They were in church from the time they could understand even before that. And I'm thankful that we're, I'm in a church where families sit together in this congregation, in this room. Yes, right. And there's the emphasis on devotions at home by parents Amen. with children of all ages. Yes. We're going to continue that. It's right. It's profitable. And most of us who have dealt with children at all, realize that they learn much earlier than supposedly. You know, there's no age where, when they can first understand. They begin understanding way before we're ready. Right. And sometimes they learn things from parents that the parents didn't know they were learning. It's been proven. You, you understand that too. I'm grateful for, for that phrase. All that could hear with understanding. There's too many things to say from this great chapter, but um, verse 9 and 10. And Nehemiah, which is a Tirthite, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, I taught the people and said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. Yes. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto your Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. I think if I was as much, if I was a great God, I would want some kind of a long six months repentant of them doing all kinds of things to make up for forgetting about a commandment of mine for many hundred years. Nope, not the Lord. Instantaneously, go, enjoy. Thank you. There's a point that's been made about unity in, in this chapter, and I'm taking it from a different direction. There are all sorts of things you could use to, that could divide the congregation. You could, you could, there's a divide between rich and poor in a lot of places, places where people are from. There wasn't that here. They were all together as one. And the, they could have divided over who was rich and who was poor. I mean, even the churches in the New Testament have it. Look at James. They could have divided over which tribe they, they had. Yes. That's, that's happened in Israel, too. 
But they didn't. They all came together as one. Serving God united them. And here we are today, united. We, we all have our own different backgrounds, different ages, different abilities, but we are all together serving as one. And for that I am thankful. Amen. I'm just going to repeat a lot of what most other people have said, but it's really it's the main thing I took from this last night and this morning as I listened to it again. Just the whole sense, the whole, the whole attitude of the congregation to what they heard the whole time. Um, when they first heard the law and they realized they hadn't been doing what they were supposed to be doing, they mourned, which they should have done. They should have been. They were, they were repentive. But once they repented, you know, they wept. Once they repented, though, they moved on. And they did what the pastors, the preachers, told them to do. Um, Daniel just read 9 and 10, so I'm not going to read it again. But basically, you know, they said, Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. But then you come down and you read uh, verse 13, and what did the people do? They listened. They didn't mourn and weep. The people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions. They did what they were told to do. Basically, I think of 1 John. They must have known 1 John when they saw this because they knew that the Lord was faithful and just to forgive them if they confessed their sins, and which, you know, they was bringing forth fruit with their repentance by doing this. And then you go on down, that wasn't enough for them. They went and looked out the, they went and looked out the preachers, and they found written in the law, um, which the Lord commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in the booths and the feast in the seventh month. And what did they do? They did what the Word of God told them to do. They didn't, like Joel talked about in Matthew, they didn't kick against it. They went and did what, and I know this is all repeat, but I just, it's, uh, that's what it touched me about, touched me about it last night, is that they acted on the, what, not only on their convictions, but what the man of God had, had shown them out of the Word of God. And they acted on it. It's been mentioned several times already, but the point that uh, I appreciate the most was the fact that they chose the law of Moses. Um, if you think about the, the strong fleshly desire they would have had to hear stories about Abraham or Joseph, um, as well as the national pride. I mean, they put so much stock in being the children of Abraham. Yes. Surely they wanted to hear that. But no, they wanted to go with the incredibly non-entertaining book of the law of Moses, all these laws and laws. Why'd they do that? They wanted to serve the Lord better. And it's my hope that we'll approach worship and Scripture the same way. We'll want to go for the hard things, the difficult things to understand, but we'll put the work and the effort to, to learn them, to understand them, and to most importantly perform them uh, for the glory of the Lord. There's not exactly a lull, but um, I'm really excited about something else, and no one else has said it yet, so I want to. Beginning of uh, verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Yes. It was not just him speaking from a word of God, of his, cho of his choice, of whatever version fit what he needed to say. He, in front of everyone, had the evidence of this is what God has for you, period. Right. There was verification. Instead of someone saying, well, this is my interpretation of this passage, as so many do today. They wish to redefine it to make what they want. He right. gave them exactly what God said, period, right. with right. no question, and they could all prove it. I'm thankful Amen. for that. 
Another good, very good point about Nehemiah and the people, their attitude toward the Word of God. They went to the man of God and said, tell us what things are in the Bible. It reminds me of in the New Testament where um, Cornelius was telling Peter that, uh, you know, you've, you've done well to come here now. Tell me what I need to do. Um, it's, it's an attitude, and it requires, I think the key thing it requires is humility for you to be able to humble yourself and ask another man, What's wrong with you? That's, in, that's difficult for a lot of people. You better have humility, and you, you better kill all pride if you want to stand before the Lord because to be able to let somebody else examine your life and point out problems that they see, that can be painful. But uh, these people were willing. They, they were able to endure sound doctrine. It's one of the problems with this generation is they're not able to endure sound doctrine. They want things that tickle their ears, not hurt their ears. I'm very thankful for our man of God that he has put over us. He's not afraid of our faces and begging God to keep him boldly preaching, instantly preaching, and bless his efforts. Amen. Is there anything called coincidence in this world? As you were walking up, brother, I was thinking about Nehemiah 8, 9, and Nehemiah, which is a Tirshatha. What's that? He's a governor. He was the important person, right? He took a second place when it came to what Ezra was doing. He aided it. He supported it. But he had the humility our brother was there talking about to realize his place. This is the word of God. I can help support that, but that's not my primary calling. That's Ezra's calling. That's all the brethren that's in the Levites and the priesthood. I take a second seat to them. Brethren, do we have that kind of humility, just as our brother said? Our brother is no different from the rest of us in one sense. He's flesh and blood, but (laughs) when he's speaking the word of God, if it's the truth, it's not him speaking. It's God speaking directly to us. Any of the brothers we've heard this afternoon coming up here and talking to us, if they said something that's true, it's not them, their personality, their background, is Jehovah God speaking to us? Do we have that same humility our brother just talked about there of when God's word is spoken, doesn't matter who says it and what it is, if it's God's word and I can see it as Matthew said, i got to act on it. I've got to humble myself and do what it says. One more point, it's been touched on, uh, verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. New Testament verse that I was thinking about. Sending portions to those that are without. You think about what they just heard, and Ezra's telling them rejoice. This, this is a joyful thing. They're fixing to have booths and a feast and mirth, and these are wonderful things. You go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41, well, verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, 
and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be added or such as should be saved. But the response to the word of God and what they did for each other and, and the, the common union, again, every, this has been touched on. This is nothing new, but, you know, it's almost restoring a first love also. You know, these people had lost something, and, and the Lord was good to them. And how did he do it? It was through his word. And, and you look at how they reacted once that first love is restored. You look at the New Testament. You know, you think about what we have as far as what the Lord has opened up to us in the New Testament compared to what the Lord was opening up to them. In Nehemiah, you know, we, we should we should all the more joy and rejoice and have had the same mind of like minds, one accord. And in other places in Acts, it says they counted not their own things their own, basically. Anyway, it was encouraging. Amen. Amen. Same spirit. <laughs> what, uh, what struck me, it's already been mentioned, as uh, the unity. Um, you cannot have unity without a cause. Right. Um, there's a cause then, there still is one today. Yes. Um, it just convicted me to ask, what, what have I done to promote unity in this church, and have I done anything to promote that cause that, that still exists? Amen. I was thinking about another point um, where it talks about they gave the sense. I'm, uh, also in the New Testament, I'm thankful that the Lord will send a man like Ezra, to give the sense not only to uh, just a large group of people like that, but in the New Testament, another example we have is one man, Acts 8, when Philip and the eunuch, um, the Spirit saith unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. I'm thankful the Lord will even send some man to explain and give the sense yes. of the passage, even if it's only one man. Amen. Amen. Speaking on unity, verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, amen. and all the people answered, amen, 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 with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Amen. I got a lot of conviction out of... Uh, verses 8 through 9, talking, mentioning the other men that helped preach the word to the people and helped cause them to understand. And it wasn't just one man that was doing it for everyone. It was these men on the left and right that were helping right. them that knew the word beforehand. Right. You know, So they had to have already been diligent in the word that they could give this to the people. So it's convicting to me, am I one of those men that know the word, that can go out and maybe after a sermon, another brother has a question, can I answer that? Can I give yes. wisdom to the people? What am I doing to be one of those men? Yeah. So it's convicting me. In a sense, I'm sorry to repeat this, but in another sense, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm thankful for verses 16 and 17. I want to have the faith that these people had. By faith, these people were following, diligently seeking God. By faith, they heard about building booths. You'd stay in them for seven days and do nothing. You couldn't work if you go back into Leviticus and look at it. They didn't say, by faith, I can go work seven days and give more money to the Lord and get 50% of what I make during those. No. They said, I'm going to sit in these booths and do nothing. Right. Be thankful to the Lord that He brought them out of Egypt 
and they, and they were in booths for those years when they were brought out of Egypt. But that's what they were supposed to do. They didn't say, well, that was something done a thousand years ago. It's really not applicable to me today. You know, it's, they did that a long time ago. It was a different time back then. Now it's just different. The Lord understands. That's not the attitude that they had. They didn't say, that's just too picky. These guys are just taking it and, and taking the word too seriously. You know, come on now. we got a loving God. That's not their attitude. They didn't have that attitude. And they did, by faith, they were diligently seeking the Lord and the Lord gave them something to do that hadn't been done for a thousand years. years. And people will think, you're kind of nut case for doing that. They could think that. But you know what? They knew it was the word of the Lord, and they did it. They had the faith to do it. I'm thankful for that. I want to have that type of faith. And then if you look at it, 817, that our brother Joel, Joel was talking about it, they did it, and there was very great gladness in the doing of what the Lord yes. wanted them to do. Yes. I hope to have the attitude of these people when a commandment of God is shown to me that I'll embrace it and that I'll do it quickly as these guys did and did it with gladness. That's the type of attitude that I want to have that these people display. I just had another thought. Y'all were talking about the understanding. Verse 8 tells us, So they read in the book of the law of God... I mean, verse 8, I'm sorry. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I'm very thankful for men who know the Word of God and are able to help us to understand and cause us to understand the meaning, but it also made me reflect on the fact that it just makes me thankful that ultimately it's the God of heaven who causes us to understand. I was thinking of John 8 where it says, "Why do you, John 8, 43, why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word? And then you go on down to verse 47. He that is of God yes. heareth God's word. Yes. And that just made me think of the mercy of the Lord for these people who had been lost, so to speak. But the Lord showed this mercy in giving them the understanding and giving them men who could, who could cause them to understand. But it was the Lord that gave them the spirit to be able to do that. Verse 3, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. Kind of taking off what Stephen said. What were their priorities? Could have been a hot day. I mean, standing out there sat all that, all that time didn't matter. What was more important? The Word of God was being mentioned. They had their priorities straight. They were looking at what's the most important thing for my life, getting a little sunburn or hearing what God's got to say for me. Being in those booths for seven days, same thing. You know, this, this looks silly. What's it going to look like to the nations? Who cares what it looks like to anybody else? What does God think about it? Is he pleased with this? Lord, are you happy with me sitting in this booth? You know, what do we have to think when we get baptized? It looks kind of, you know... It's not as nice as just a little bit of water dropped on me, right? I get all wet. I get it. You can't look good coming out of a baptism, can you? What does it matter? Is God looking down with pleasure on me when I'm, when I'm doing what he told me to do? That's all that matters is his smile. Zach kind of touched on this point earlier, uh, but in verse 10, it says, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them that have nothing prepared. 
You've heard of joy, Jesus, others, and you. Obey God, and then the love of others uh, was a very close second. And uh, just want to thought back to uh, repenting and doing the first fruits and then going and serving someone else. And that's one of the quickest ways to kind of restore that relationship back with the Lord. And you just see it touched on right here. So I'm thankful for that. Amen. Amen. We figured a, a lot about the hearers pulling the information, as it were, from the preacher rather than the preacher having to push it to his hearers. Well, it's the duty of both. There's, there's the duty of ministers to be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Um, but, and then there's our duty to be the hearers that were described to us this morning. Um, here's a verse for you. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Uh, there's a comment made earlier today where our pastor had a little bit of grief, and maybe you picked up on that. Uh, maybe we could pay a little bit more attention to our hearing and implementation and right. keep this verse in mind that we could have him, when it's time for him to give an account of us, that he would do it with joy. Said to wait for a lull, and that was about the uh, longest one that I found. So I thought, jump up here. Um, it's been said before, but repetition um, gets God's word stuck in our heart, and that's why we read it to hide God's word in our hearts, so that we won't sin against Him. Um, I was blessed to be born to a church where brethren um, rejoice with each other, um, talk with each other, um, have a tough time getting back to their pew because they're talking about the sermon they just heard. Um, I, I love that verse 9, it says to rejoice. We don't have a God that wants us to mourn and just sit in our pews, listen to the um, word of God, and then be quiet and go home. He tells us to rejoice with each other. Amen. We just heard a lot of brethren get up, and we just heard the word preached to us. Um, it was precious back in this day. Like, heart, like he was, Ezra and the priests were probably the only one who had Bibles. The people rejoiced to hear it. We should rejoice to hear it. Right. The readiness, we have... Bibles just sitting, so much readiness, we can go to a dollar store and get it for one dollar. Um, what are we doing with it? We should rejoice. Um, we should go out of here, live it, um, live our lives, show that we rejoice in it. What's going on right now? What's happening? You got men trying to race up here, and you got men coming up here multiple times. What's, what's the inspiration with that? It's the Word of God. It's the, under, it's the understanding that we have of this Word, and it's, it's what drives us. It's stirring us up right now. Every one of us is provoking each other. These people were provoked. It's a beautiful thing. Adam just provoked me with his point as far as the Ethiopian eunuch. I was thinking of another one as soon as he said that, and that was with uh, Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts and Apollos. And, you know, just for one man, you have a group of people that were affected when, when Ezra opened up the Word of God and read, and then his his, he had priests on the left and right side. They had to, they read. <clears throat> yeah, I'm thankful for the people that Paul makes mention of that, that went forth and helped other people out. And I just want to read that account since Adam read the account on the Ethiopian eunuch. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, 
knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto, unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. I love to sleep. And uh, I know that there are a lot of Proverbs in the Bible that talk talk to young men and men in general about not liking to sleep too much. Um, And I'm thankful that it's in the Bible because I know that there were men back then and as well today that love sleep almost as much as I do. Um, going back to the unity point, going back to unity, and this is just what stuck out to me for, it's just a small point, but you don't get all the people gathered together as one man without a little bit of communication between the people there at that time. Uh, verse 3 said, and he read therein before the street, that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday. They didn't wait till midday till the evening or they didn't wait till everybody had staggered out of bed and and kind of rubbed their eyes and decided to meet in the, in the city. No, they rose up early, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the morning. That's a lot of time. That's a, that's sacrifice at the beginning of the day to start the day off well uh, for that worship service. And that kind of struck me that they didn't wait. They did it from the morning until the midday. They didn't. They didn't. The people that loved to sleep didn't shrug it off and say, we'll do it later in the afternoon. That, that kind of struck me. These people were zealous, and they were zealous during the reading. Uh, but just thinking about the exhortation to going and doing uh, makes me think of Galatians 4, uh, 16 through um, uh, 18. So I am therefore become, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, Amen. and not only when I am present with you. And this was, you know, it was great they had zeal when Paul was there, but what about when he wasn't? And, you know, the closest we can get to that right now is during the week when we're not at church. It's easy to be zealous here and every Sunday to come and just, you know, like do the same thing over again and, and get convicted, but then go home and forget. And how good it would be to be zealously affected all the time, yes. even when we're not here. A number of us have already been thankful for the fact that um, they read in the book of the law of God, that they didn't tell stories or do anything else, um, that they gave the sense of it. But what I'm thankful for is that they caused them to understand the reading. That many of us, most of us, have come from a background where it is more storytelling, less word of God. But some of us have also come from one where all it is is all doctrine all the time. No application to your life whatsoever. Nothing of what you're supposed to do. But these men showed them what the meaning of it should be to them. The people were taught how they were then to go about doing something with it. I'm thankful for the whole preaching of God, not just one side of let's focus on doctrine, but the fact that there is application that needs to be made to our lives as well. 
trying to think of something people hadn't said yet. And I was thinking about Ezra instead of the people and how he, as God's man, must have felt. So they've gone a thousand years and things haven't been taught to them correctly. All of a sudden, they're demanding of Ezra, come out here and preach to us. Come out here and give us the understanding. And what does that feel like to a man of God? He must have been pretty excited. I suspect he didn't have any trouble standing up there and preaching for that entire three hours, four hours, whatever it was. I suspect he was pretty excited when other men came to him afterwards, said, teach us more. We want to be in a leadership role. And that led me to how excited do we make our pastor? Does he look forward to coming to preach to us? I know I fall short there. And it was just something that really struck me, that we need to have him excited, and he's going to be excited if we're excited. And what a wonderful thing that can turn into. We can stand in the sun for three hours, not take a bathroom break or get a drink, and praise the Lord. And I suspect he'd be up there going about a 1,000 miles an hour, like we do see sometimes when we give enough amens for a change. And that's just what I was thinking of there, how Ezra was feeling up there. 